On this episode of Second Read, Laura Lane and Abby Tonson continue telling their story of covering the Shaylin Ammerman case for the Herald Times. This episode contains details about the assault and death of a very young child. Please use listener discretion. Previously on Second Read, The Murdered and the Missing. This 15-month-old little girl was not found to be in her crib this morning. And they were searching longer than usual for, you know, a child who had gone missing or perhaps had wandered off. I'm hoping that, you know, whoever has her is at least taking care of her. And I just remember feeling like this is one of the first beautiful days of spring. And this should be. It did. It just seems wrong. The body of a female infant has been discovered um, near Gosport. That body... Uh, did match the description of Shaylin Ammerman. Do you remember being at that news conference? And there would have been a lot of media there. I was not there. Um, I, so what I remember about that news conference is I knew that I wasn't going to get there in time. Jeremy was going to get there in time. I remember calling Sarah Morin, who... Was she our man? No, she wasn't our managing editor then. She was our web editor. Maybe, maybe. And I'm breaking my own rules. I'm talking on the phone while driving. It is dark. It is rainy. It is difficult to see. I call Sarah and I say, um, you pull up a live stream of this news conference and you start tweeting out what happens during this news conference because I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get, I'm going to miss part of this news conference. I'm on my way, but we need to get the news out in real time as everybody else is getting it in real time. Um, and sure enough, I got to the news conference very late. It was, um, right at the very end of it, but that kind of worked out in my favor because, um, I did speak with Kurt Dernal after the news conference, and he filled me in on what I had missed. And apparently I was the only reporter who thought to, let me back up a second. At that evening news conference, um, police confirmed that they did find Shaylin's body, and they said that they had a, a Spencer man by the name of Kyle Parker in custody, and they weren't really releasing much more information than that, just that she had been found and there is one person in custody and the investigation is, you know, continues. Um, Because I was so late to that press conference, Kurt Dernal kind of, uh, he and I spoke afterward and he kind of filled me in on what I missed and apparently I was the only reporter who thought to ask what Kyle Parker had been, what charges he had been booked into the jail mm-hmm. for. I mean, everybody else just kind of took what the police were telling them and spitting it out on Twitter. And I was the one to actually ask a couple of questions. And uh, I remember Z being really proud of that, that, that we actually had his preliminary charges in the next day's newspaper. That again was another uh, late deadline kind of night um we're willing to wait for stories like that so um things like an IU basketball game or the murder of a child sometimes the deadlines get stretched which is a good thing 
So then it's over for the night. Um, the and, next. And again, you and I devised that plan to split up the day right. that you're going to start bright and early. early. Day, and I had, I was so sad at home. I remember thinking, God, you know, I don't want to keep covering this story, but I knew we would have to. So I was trying to think of something I could do that would add to the story. So I got up early and I drove to where I knew they had found her body, sort of near sunrise, very early in the morning, to just stand and be at that place. Take it in. To sort of take it in and to be able to, to describe it in a story. When I got there, as I should have expected, there was a state trooper or a sheriff's deputy from Owen County who had blocked off the road down to the river where her body had been found propped up by a tree and I got as close as I could get, and I just stood there for 15 minutes or so, and this is often what reporters do, or it's something that I do, just to get a sense of place. And I was able to describe that place. I also remember just feeling so devastated and sad at that place. And those feelings have remained, I know, with me and with you, the awful, the most awful things that can happen do happen. And then when you're standing right there in it, it can just almost take you over, even when you're a hardened reporter like me or like you. Then we, was there a court hearing that day? I can't no, that, um, we were still chasing the news story that day. Yeah, um, because they're not saying anything. Right. The, this is the way. The autopsy um, happened that Friday morning. And results from that were released early Friday afternoon. I remember you made me eat something. We went to the underground cupcake. We were in Ellisville, yeah. That was sort and of you made, office between yeah, places. You ordered us two BLTs, and you made me sit down and eat something. Because when I'm running on you were a mess. stress and the exhilaration of chasing a story... Um, I, I just live on caffeine and nicotine, and I do not take good care of myself. No, you, you were a wreck, and I knew you needed to stay focused to keep working. This is not a story that I could report on my own, and we really had sort of become a team trying to manage the elements of this story. And again, the authorities are not releasing information. They don't want to tell us anything, and we're trying to chase rumors, find out what's true, what might not be true. But then when you have something like an autopsy report, there are certain things that the authorities have to release. Cause and manner of death is one of them. And when you learn that a 15-month-old baby was asphyxiated, strangled, sexually assaulted, and more, that is public record information that the authorities gave out because they are required by law in Indiana to give cause and manner of death. So we report that, and it's, it's just as bad as it can be. It's, it's all so terrible. At some point, in order to charge Kyle Parker, who's like a 23-year-old kid guy from Gosport, in order to charge him, the investigators in the case have to put together what's called a probable cause affidavit which outlines what information they have, what evidence they have, and why they believe this person committed the crime. When that is 
presented in court and a judge stamps it as official and issues an arrest warrant, it becomes a matter of public records. So at that point, details from the crime become available. I don't remember if that happened on Friday or if it was Monday. It happened first thing Monday. It was Monday. So there was a weekend in between where you just try to push it away and then you're right back at it on Monday. And that's when the, the PC would have been released. And I remember the details were so awful that I, I couldn't even read it out loud. We see a lot of these documents that describe brutal crimes, but this one was particularly horrendous and sad, and there was just no way to comprehend how someone could do these things to a sweet little blue-eyed baby. And so writing that story and stories like that, it's particularly difficult, but we do that. We put in the details of the crime, but I am telling you that we left a lot out in this case because it was too gruesome, and we make those decisions. Right, that's our job. I mean, we're the gatekeepers. Um, Some people say that we have to, we should give everything. We should just put it out there. Sometimes we put a probable cause affidavit online and the readers can read it because it is public record. Anyone can have access to it if you go to the courthouse. But in this case, I believe I argued that we should not because it was so terrible. And I think we did not put it online. If we had redacted the horrible parts, there wouldn't have been anything left. That's right. So from there... Kyle Parker is charged. There are some court hearings. The prosecutor holds a news conference, says it's the most horrible crime that's ever happened. He's going to seek life in prison without parole for Kyle Parker. Uh, frankly, this is the first time in, in my tenure uh, that I've seen grown law enforcement officers uh, just wince in pain. It's just old. When, when are they wincing in pain? Just when they're looking over the documents, the, the evidence? During the time that we've uncovered evidence, uh, after the interviews, and just listening to the nature of the allegations here. It's a case that could have warranted the death, the death penalty, but that was not chosen. More time passes, and then suddenly, the prosecutor announces that there's going to be a plea agreement in the case. And people are shocked because they want there to be a trial and they want there to be justice. And the plea agreement called for not life in prison without parole. It ended up being what amounts to 45 years, I think. And people were outraged. There were protests. I think you covered a protest at the courthouse. I did. You covered the inside of the, the court hearing, and I covered the outside That's of right, the court we hearing. That's right, there that day. The court hearing... As was Jeremy. Of course, <laughs> Jeremy is there always. Video, photos, making us see what the words can't tell. You can't describe Jessica Stewart's face. You just need to see it with Shailen's mom. Shame on you! community was outraged by this plea agreement and when the prosecutor is trying to defend it he basically says 
that the family members involved in this case, all not all, but many of them had criminal elements in their background and were, they would not be good witnesses. They found very uh, suspicious things on the home computer. There was a lot of stuff that did, they, it was almost as if they didn't want any of this to come out during the trial. They didn't want there to be a trial. Those witnesses were going to be so tainted that um, the prosecution just wasn't going to win the case. There was going to be too much doubt sown. And then with all of the doubt, and you have to have a verdict beyond a reasonable doubt, right. they really felt like they could not, they might not get a conviction. And then Kyle Parker could walk, and then you can't be tried again if you've been acquitted of a crime. So Don Vandermoor, the prosecutor, held a news conference where he basically said, I do not want to do this, but I must, and here's why. And that was it. The plea deal went through. Kyle Parker went to prison, but not for life. And he could get parole. And it was, and I think still is devastating for a lot of the people involved in this case. They, they were looking for justice, and they just did not see it there. Mm -hmm. After Shaylin's body was found, um, there were still stories. I ended up doing a story about a, an organization that uses donated wedding gowns to make burial gowns for babies and toddlers. And Shaylin's family had somehow got connected up with these people. And so I wrote a story about how the, they used um, someone's wedding dress to make this beautiful um, burial gown for Shaylin. Her family was didn't have a lot of resources or money at all. I would say that um, generational poverty was definitely at Absolutely. play in that family. Was, uh, nobody had much of anything. So people were stepping up in all kinds of ways to help them. We thought about um, covering Shaylin's funeral because it would have been sort of, you know, a continuation of the story. It was being held in the Spencer Christian Center, I think, in, the, in downtown Spencer, big, big church. And you and I had talked about covering the funeral, and then we thought, no, that's a really an invasion into the family. But we also, not that anyone ever wants to go to a funeral, but we felt compelled to go to her funeral. We weren't there at the same time, and other media outlets were certainly there. The TV trucks were parked along the street by the church, and we were told that the media was not invited and to stay away from the church and on the public sidewalk and in a public parking lot across the street, which everyone did. But then I think you and I decided we really wanted to go to her funeral and not to cover her funeral, but we had mourned with these people, talked to these people, cried over this the loss of this baby, and... I don't know that you're not much for funerals, and I'm not either, but we went. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so you, there was a long line of people. Well, in, in typical Laura and Abby fashion, I got there first and yes. waited for you to get there. <laughs> and I, you got in the line, and I was, I joined you in the line, possibly. No, I took, um, I sat in the very back. I sat in the very back row. Did you go in before I did? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then that's and I why. saved you a seat next to me in the very back row. So in the back row, that's where the press can sort of hide away, and we were not there to cover the funeral. When I was going through the door, Abby got in. I, I didn't even bring a notebook. I 
think I had mine, and then I realized I stuck it into my purse. I was not going to report on the funeral. And then the police officers at the door recognized me as a reporter, and they said I couldn't go in because I was a reporter. And I remember saying, I am here as a mourner, which was true. And then they let me in, and then they stood behind us in the back row and watched very carefully to make sure no one pulled out a notebook or wrote anything down. I remember at the end of the funeral, it becomes the time where everyone stands up row by row and walks up and goes past the casket. This was an open casket funeral for a baby. And you, you didn't want to go up there. You wanted to go, you wanted to turn and go the other way and go out the door. Right. Um, I believe that was the first time I've ever done that at a funeral. It was and clear I was, to me at that point that you weren't familiar with that. And I was looking to you for guidance. It's a kind of a, and I it's just, an old-fashioned, I'm from the South, it's a Southern thing where everyone does a procession by the deceased and says a prayer, puts their hand down or closes their eyes or whatever. And you, you were mired there in your place and it was time for our row to go. And so I just sort of pushed you ahead and, and said to you, we have to do this because it would have been so awkward if we just turned and went out the door. And so I know that was hard for you mm -hmm. because we went past Shaylin and she had been this beautiful shining picture for us of this little girl. She had been the things that her parents described to us about how wonderful and what a shining star little girl she was and so smart. And yet there she was and she's wearing that dress that I had written the story mm -hmm. about and it was almost too much. I didn't... Um... I just kind of kept my head down. I know you did not look. You didn't look, and I, I did. I don't. I don't know. So then we get outside. And I mean, we attended the funeral because we thought it would be cathartic a little bit, kind of part of our own um, it's a, it's part of grieving, a grieving process. process. It's part of what a funeral is for. Um, we kind of thought maybe we could wrap our brains around what we had been working on for a week. That I mean. Didn't help. No, it did not. I was disturbed by the, the way some of the people that were acting, there didn't seem to be enough reverence in some cases. I, 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 was, I was disturbed by the entire event and then seeing her and we went out and then I remember um, other media being upset that we had been inside because they had not been allowed in and it was like, look, we were not there as reporters, we were there as... As human beings. As people, right. Mm-hmm. Her grave is in the Chambersville Cemetery, which you see it's at the county line, the Owen-Monroe County line. I, when you're coming down 46. Coming down 46, right there. So I, I'm not ashamed to say that I stop there sometimes. It's easy to find because people, other people stop there often. I'm just going to read a paragraph from the first time that I stopped at the cemetery. I say, I wrote, Chambersville Cemetery sits on a hill on the north side of Indiana 46 at the county line dividing Owen and Monroe counties. Look that way and it's hard to miss Shaylin's grave, even from the highway. It's the one with all the angel statues, fading silk flowers, flowing flags, and my pretty ponies standing mired in the mud, a big brown teddy bear, 
an Indiana State Police key ring, a toddler-sized Minnie Mouse backpack, and all sorts of sparkly and twirling things. Five daffodils in a monkey cup, red carnations lying across the tombstone, a Fisher-Price corn popper push toy. And that's one of the saddest things I've ever written. How many times do you think you've visited Shaylin? six or eight maybe excuse me sometimes if I have a if I've had a Wendy's kids meal recently I'll have the toy in the car and I'll put it together and stick it there with all of the other mementos that people leave even you know years later her grave is what I would call highly decorated you can't miss it from the road it's it's it shines and the loss of her life is so poignant when you see it. You took me there after um, Kyle Parker's plea deal. Thinking that... I didn't want to go there either. (laughs) But but we did go. uh, Laura Lane is um, not only a crime reporting mentor and a, a writing mentor to me, but but she's become like a family member, and I think she um, she not only pushes me to be a better reporter and a writer, but sometimes she pushes me out of my comfort zone to in areas where she thinks it might help me mentally or emotionally or spiritually, um, and I just follow. I follow her lead. I've been doing it for nine years now. It's pretty much the only thing you can do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she did. She took me to Shaylin's grave after the, the Kyle Parker sentencing. Um, again, thinking that I would hopefully find some semblance of closure or, or maybe I could say goodbye. Um, but I don't think there's ever closure from something like this. No, we're going to carry Shaylin with us forever. I've covered, and you've covered so many tragic stories, so many. The story of Shaylin is the worst one. It's the awfulest one. Do you want to talk about um, the column that you wrote? We received a few letters to the editor after Shaylin's murder, criticizing our work. One person was upset by a headline that um, quoted Don Vandermore saying, it's just horrible above the subheadline, Spencer Man charged with raping, murdering toddler. The reader said that she would have so appreciated if the headline had been simply Spencer Man charged with murder. If she had wanted to know details, she said, she would have continued to read the article. She said, quote, the rape information could have been left out of the headline. This crime is so heinous, readers should be considered. I ended up writing a column in response to that criticism and others. And I ended up writing about how I wondered how leaving the heinous fact out of a headline could make what happened any more awful. I explained in the column how we're very careful when we write stories to think of what the readers need to know in order to 
synthesize and understand a crime and sometimes the horrible nature of something cannot be avoided. There was another letter that said, quote, the coverage of Shaylin's abduction and murder has been extremely disturbing. This is a horrific crime and even limited details would cause distress. We, the letter writers, have found the coverage to be sensationalist and excessively detailed. Our opinion is that the reporting has been inappropriate and lacking in consideration of the memory of Shaylin, her family, and for your readers. Yikes, that was quite an accusation. I took it to heart and responded that as we go about writing stories, we always ask ourselves these questions of what to tell and what not to tell. I assured those letter writers that there were so many terrible details left out of the reporting of that story, but I was not willing to gloss over how horrible it was to save the readers from knowing the truth. And we balance those kinds of issues all the time. When people ask me if this was the worst story you've ever covered, my response in this column was, yes, oh God, yes. And I don't want anyone to think that we did not carefully consider every word we wrote about this terrible crime. And you felt so strongly about it. I mean, it's, it's really unprecedented for a reporter to take over Z's column for the week and yeah, I and, the and, Monday morning column that week. And feel like you had to stand up for um, our work and our integrity. Um, this case was so horrendous that I feel like a lot of uh, anger was just misdirected at us, the messenger. Um, and again, we hold ourselves to a higher standard than other media outlets. And there were other media outlets who ran the whole PC, who ran all of the sordid details. And it's... And we limited our coverage in a way that we didn't have as much as they did because we made those decisions. I am reading what I wrote back then. We are not out to sensationalize, especially in a case such as this. We are aware of the impact of words and the importance of that power. In tragic situations, we try to tread softly while reporting responsibly and accurately. And I tell you folks, that is not an easy thing to do. But we are going to keep doing it because we have this obligation and this drive and this, this knowing in our gut that reporting the news is so important and you all needed to know the story of Shaylin. This episode of Second Read was produced by Jenny Tilly with assistance from Bree Kirkham, Laura Lane, Abby Tonsing, and Jeremy Hogan. Music is by Zachary Walter. Read past coverage about this case by our news reporters and letters from our community at heraldtimesonline.com. 
Thanks to our sponsors, Green and Schultz Trial Lawyers. If a child you know has been abused or neglected in Indiana, please contact the 24-hour Department of Child Services hotline at 1-800-800-5556. And in other states, find the number for your area's child welfare agency.